Hello, and welcome to World Canvas from International Programs at the University of Iowa. I'm Joan Kerr, and we're coming to you from Film Scene in Iowa City. Thank you for joining us for this program, which is the last one in this year's season. Very special season for us because it was the first year of our partnership with Film Scene, Iowa City's nonprofit cinema arts organization. Our show tonight is called Real to Real, and our guests will be focused on film and its unique ability to open our eyes to unknown cultures, expanded worldviews, and deeply personal adventures. We'll hear about some of those adventures throughout the program. Uh, joining me to talk about the power of film as an art form and international cinema in particular are Andy Brody, curator of films at Film Scene. Welcome, Andy. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And Leah Vanderheide, uh, curator of Horizons Film Series at the Bijou. Welcome, Hi. Leah. Thank you. And at the far end, we have Joe Tiefenthaler, the executive director of Film Scene. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start with you, Andy, and just ask you to tell us, you know, why, why is this your passion? What is it that makes film such a very special medium? Um, well, I think for me, personally speaking, um, I, I had written my op-ed piece about cinema being a window to the world, mm -hmm. and I, I know that was true for me as someone who grew up without an opportunity to do a lot of traveling, <clears throat> excuse me, or, you know, visiting other places. Uh, film really did open up a new world to me. Um, internationally and, and at home, but uh, specifically foreign cinema and world film. And so as I sort of discovered that in my late teens and then decided to come back to school after my first career in journalism to study film more in depth, it was really because of that, that passion mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the screen itself being literally a window to the world. Yeah. So that was, for me personally, um, a very mm -hmm. transformative, powerful medium. Mm -hmm. And film being a visual medium, it's a universal universal thing even though you know we have dialogue subtitles but it's a visual it's inherently a visual medium so mm -hmm. um, it's something that translates very well across languages and visual storytelling mm -hmm. so. yeah and something very um, very uh, oh I don't know it's a it's sort of a subtle way that a film can kind of creep its way into your into your subconscious or into your understanding of a place or understanding of your own feelings and you know uh, just sort of shock you, even when the film isn't itself particularly shocking, you can find yourself reflecting on things that, that come to you from, from powerful films and even films that are, are maybe just, you know, maybe funny or uh, sure. experiences of some kind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, it has that transformative and transporting, you know, capability. You come into a theater, you know, if we, if we come to a cinema, sit in a dark room, turn off, you know, the lights, and then mm -hmm. we're transported to these other places. Mm -hmm. um, which is what I love about the cinema experience differently than maybe some other art forms. I mean, some art forms you do go to a specific venue for, you know, dance or, you know, live music, but with film going to the cinema and having the lights come down and being transported, it's a very specific, unique experience. Mm -hmm. Well, we uh, talked a little bit before the program about uh, that time when you and Andrew Sherburn were sort of thinking to yourselves, we should mention who Andrew is, but you were thinking, gosh, it would be nice if there were an independent cinema here in the community, and, and now you and others have made this happen. Tell us about that process. Yeah, well, so you mentioned Andrew Sherburn, who is, uh, uh, Andrew and I co-founded Film Scene in 2011 as the nonprofit org, and it's really grown a great deal mm -hmm. since then and evolved in many ways, but uh, we co-founded the organization in 2011, after um, Iowa City had lost its last dedicated downtown cinema, full-time cinema, around 2006, 2007. And we, we both lived here. We were both film lovers. We had both made films and had seen these venues and the importance of these venues in other communities and just felt very strongly that Iowa City, a place that had a, homes for 
other arts like literature and, and music and dance needed a dedicated space for film that was here year round. It was downtown in the heart of our community where the other arts organizations and venues tend to be. And so we co-founded Film Scene with the mission of opening uh, a dedicated cinema space, which the scene one is our first step in that process. Mm -hmm. And it's been about a year and a half now, so. Yeah, and the, the success, both you and Joe can answer this one. You've, you've had sort of surprising success, wouldn't you say, in, this, in these last couple of years? Yeah, I would. I think I, I might kick it over to Joe yeah. just so I don't do all the talking, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, so, and Joe can take that one, but yeah. No, I, I mean, I think, you know, the, the community has really come out in this year and a half um, since uh, the doors were open. You know, when you look at more than 30,000 people um, coming through into our single screen, uh, that says a lot about what the community wanted um, and what uh, film scene was was there to give. I think it's uniquely positioned, especially in a town like Iowa City with that university and town crossover that you can really bring some powerful arts programming as a cultural center right mm -hmm. into our downtown. And, and I think the community responded and relationships like the one that sort of we're here celebrating today with the Bijou um, all comes out of that energy mm -hmm. and that, that love of just the and engaging the arts. Mm -hmm. Well, you gave us a nice intro there to Leah, because uh, <laughs> Leah, you're representing the Bijou, which is a student org at the university. And uh, um, Andy, I know, had a prior life where he was very much involved with, uh, with the Bijou. Tell us about the, the Bijou itself, how you, um, how you operate, how many films you're responsible for bringing to the screen each year, and, and then about this partnership. Yeah, um, so Bijou is a student organization that's been around since 1972, so it has a very long history, and Andy was a part of that history as well. Uh, and in 2013, uh, the students decided to partnership, uh, to build a partnership with Film Scene, um, and it's a really unique partnership. Um, Bijou students do a lot of film pitches to Andy um, in terms of new releases, but we also curate four series uh, on our own, and the Horizon series is one of those. We've brought in 40 films um, mm -hmm. this past, uh, past academic year mm -hmm. to this space, and those are free for UI students, which is really yeah. special and important to us that we're able to provide that kind of service mm -hmm. in a really beautiful downtown cinema. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about this Horizons <coughs> Passport series, because this, this uh, sort of began at the start of this second semester of this academic year. and um, um, we in international programs were excited about um, these international films and the opportunity for a student to at some point um, choose a study abroad experience. And, and uh, you can tell us about the competition for uh, a scholarship toward study abroad opportunity. But first of all, let's just talk about the film series. Why you thought it was important to have a series that focused on international film from many locations? Well, I think this goes back to what Andy was talking about at the beginning um, of our conversation, just the idea that film is often the first way people learn about other cultures and other lives that are unlike their own. And they really start thinking about worlds and experiences that they might have someday um, before they even get the chance to travel. Um, that was also my experience. I didn't travel when I was younger, but I saw a lot of films, and now I love movies and traveling. Um, so for me, the idea of bringing uh, a world cinema series of international films from all far reaches of, of the planet was an important <coughs> series for me. I thought that students should have access to those kinds of films that they wouldn't otherwise have access to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so tell us how, how this all um, bubbled up into film scene and, and, uh, and 
you decided to go forward with it and make it actually a, a yearly or even twice yearly event? Well, I think actually it was um, a particular series that the Bijou had pitched. So the Bijou has a really rich tradition in its programming that it's done on campus mm -hmm. for the last 40 plus years of showing independent and international film was a, a big, big part of that. And certainly we do um, a lot of foreign films as part of our regular new releases here. Mm -hmm. But uh, because we have only one screen for mm -hmm. the time being and other limitations, it can be difficult to fit in regular, you know, week-long or two-week-long runs right. of all of the films right. we'd like to show. I think there were more than over 2,000 films last year that received some form of theatrical release. Wow. And we managed to show more than 200 in our first 12 months at Film Scene, <laughs> and that's a ton, but mm -hmm. they're only scratching the surface. And so um, with the Bijou's curated series, and I'll let Leah talk a little more about their, their, their goals with the series, mm -hmm. but the idea was that there would be maybe some smaller foreign films that we would love to have on the screen here and give people opportunity to see in the cinema, but that we couldn't devote a full run yeah. to and that needed to be um, highlighted and, and brought here. So Horizons, that's one of the mm -hmm. things that Horizons mm -hmm. does. And so um, I don't know, Leah, would you like to speak mm -hmm. more to how you curated or what guides your selection process for that series? Well, we actually have, um, I can't take credit for the actual selection of the films. We had five student members um, in a subcommittee on the Bijou board who worked really hard to select these films that they thought should come to film, film scene and wouldn't otherwise have that full, maybe week-long run that we would otherwise wish that we could. Um, and they do it by following sort of news from festivals from around the world, what's getting attention. They read the reviews from the New York Times and hear about these films as they're getting released in um, some bigger cities um, and just worked really hard to pick films that would represent a wide scope around the world. So we had films from Israel, Brazil, Afghanistan, um, anybody? Chile, Chile. and yeah. um, what was our fifth one? India. Yeah. So they really wanted to have a, a wide <coughs> scope um, in picking the films this semester. And, um, and yeah, and then we started collaborating with Film Scene in terms of thinking about it as a full, uh, coherent series and started developing this passport idea that students who came to all five films would, get a, would have a passport that we created for them and that they would get a stamp on their passport each time they came to a film um, and, and then have an opportunity to study abroad at the end of... Mm -hmm. watching all five of these films from all over the world. Yeah. What kind of feedback did you get from the students who saw these films? Really positive feedback. Um, we had 12 students who managed to do all five films and get their passport completed. Um, but we had, at each screening, we had um, fairly large full audiences at each screening um, and just a lot of positive reactions mm -hmm. to the types of films that we were bringing in that otherwise they would never have been exposed to. Yeah. Could you tell us about a couple of the films? What kinds of subjects were they? The were narratives about individual people? Were they documentaries, a mix? Yeah, so Zero Motivation was uh, an, an Israeli film. And it was about women who are in the Israeli army and what that experience is like for them on base. Um, and I, watching that film, I thought, I have no idea what that would be like. <laughs> um, the Boy in the World was a Brazilian film, and it dealt with a young boy who was growing up and realizing um, the realities of income inequality in Brazil um, and sort of having to struggle with that within the microcosm of his own family and how that affected him on a personal level. Mm -hmm. um, so those are a couple of films that mm -hmm. had a big impact, at least on me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Well, I know that very often here at Film Scene, you have a, a moderated discussion, either preceding or following <coughs> films. Um, did you do some of that during this Passport series? We did a little bit of that. We would sometimes have professors come in um, and at least give some context for what people were about to see mm -hmm. um, if they weren't familiar with that part of the world or sort of just give them a little bit of information so that they were in a mindset that would allow them into the psychology of the characters that much more quickly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> would you say that these are mostly, um, were these students from the broad spectrum? I mean, they weren't just cinema students who were coming to these films. You, you were able to get the word out to um, the university at large to yeah to get, yeah uh, these are students from far and wide that mm -hmm. that came in yeah 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 so Joe um, why is this important in terms of film scenes mission um, the cooperation with the university on the one hand and then also the sort of international angle but you know we were saying a little bit earlier just the the uniqueness of the the community here um, you want to you want to show art and you want to engage like all in both communities in as much of the international topics and issues as we are bringing, uh, particularly with the series. And this, ener uh, this passport idea uh, was a confluence of different energies where, uh, you know, how do we widen that student base? It, it is a film series, as Leah said, that is free to students. And so how, how do you maybe incentivize a little mm -hmm. engagement to begin with? Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and you know, I cut my teeth uh, in the international world at the International Writing Program and came from the, the book end of engaging in those issues and, and working very closely with uh, international programs. Mm -hmm. And it was just like one of those aha moments when we were all sitting together and, and knowing that we had this exciting idea that could be, you know, it's a, it's a public, you know, nonprofit arts organization uh, paired with the University of Iowa student-run program mm -hmm. and then a department. Um, and we were able to then also bring in a, a very a, a private silent donor um, who is very a wonderfully gifted uh, a round trip flight for this student hmm. and that's what you know the we saw a lot of students engaging and that film series had 12 stamp passports this year but we completely expect that to be like 30 or 45 next semester mm -hmm. um, as word does grow and and that's you know the exciting thing is eventually seeing what numbers, seeing the, the students sort of like fighting for that engagement, because you know, how much can we bring to you, and then can we bring you out into the world as well? Yeah, right, right. Well, and in the rest of the program, we're going to be talking about um, various kinds of inspiration that have led students and, and others who are going to be on our program to go to someplace very different, experience something very, very different. In some cases, they probably had some um, prior knowledge of a place from what they'd seen on television, what they'd seen in film, but uh, nothing replaces being there. So um, getting back to the, the um, process of curating films, let me talk to you a little bit about how you put together a season uh, for film scene, Andy. Sure. Well, it's basically an ongoing process. You know, we're open 365 days a year, so we do put out a monthly calendar, so we're kind of on a, a monthly cycle. and. Um, but yet it's just an ongoing rolling basis as we look at the new releases that are coming out. Um, there's <clears throat> kind of a multitude of sources. And one of the primary sources is that the B2 Film Board does pitch. Um, all of the members on the board do pitch new films through their board meetings. And then I get a list from um, Catherine Steinbeck right now is the current programming director for the Bijou. That's a position I had when I was with the Bijou in school. And so I'll take that list of films and she sends to me and kind of ranks their order of ones they'd really love to see and that we try to work in as many of those as we can. 
And then I see things at festivals I attend, so I still go to, I go to quite a few film festivals, and then mm -hmm. we'll see things maybe up to a year before they actually make it to film scene. And then um, we also get, of course, feedback from our patrons um, pretty much every day, which is, which is good either when they're here in person or they send an email. I mean, we also get notes saying, thank you so much for bringing this film I didn't know about. But more commonly, we're saying, this is a film I do know about that I really want to see, and will you please bring it? Mm -hmm. And we try to do as much as we can that way. So it's my job to work with the distributors um, and bring as many of those films as we can you know, given our single screen limitation, it's a smaller market, but bring as many of those films as we can, as timely as we can, mm -hmm. to Iowa City. Mm -hmm. So that's what I work really hard to do, is to get as many films as possible here as quickly as possible, so that when people are hearing about them in the New York Times, mm -hmm. or on NPR, or whatever source they get their movie reviews, then we get them on screen before they're, they're forgotten yeah. about, because yeah. it sometimes can be tough by the time things make it here, mm -hmm. people's attention may have shifted to other sure. titles. But so we really just have a whole bunch of films that are out there. As I mentioned last year, over 2,000 films that had some form of theatrical release. And um, we did about 80 new releases. And then, as Catherine mentioned, they did, she said over 40 films. We also have a, a late, uh, late night program, weekly Wednesday night grindhouse series, a family and uh, children's series called The Picture Show. Um, it's sponsored by Midwest One Bank. So those are low ticket prices. But all told, it was more than 200 films in our first 12 months with one screen, so I, that's, <laughs> I don't really even know how that's possible, but <laughs> we manage, and we've done as many as seven different movies in one day before, um, so it's really kind of like a year-round film movies festival. Seven in one yeah, day. Yeah, there was a Saturday where we had seven different showtimes in seven different films, <laughs> so, uh, and it's not uncommon for there to be four or five in a day on a Saturday, but mm -hmm. uh, that was a particularly kind of hammered home the range of content. I think mm -hmm. we started at 10 a.m. that morning, and our last film was probably Bijou After Hours at 11. PM, wow. which is another series they do on Saturday nights during the mm -hmm. academic year. Yeah. Um, but we look, I look for a variety of films that do represent different mm -hmm. countries. Um, we do you know, foreign films mm -hmm. in our regular uh, new release runs. We try to get a variety of both uh, fiction and nonfiction films, animated, you know, um, just a nice diverse mix. Yeah. And we've done some classic film programming as well. Mm -hmm. So we try to work that into the schedule. We did a Jim Jarmusch black and white series leading up to his visit here with his band for Mission Creek Festival. Mm -hmm. And this month on Saturday, we're kicking off a four film series of Albert Maisel's films, um, kind of to honor and celebrate his career. He passed away in March. Mm -hmm. So we have uh, Weekends in May, um, a different classic Maisel's film. Um, so there's qu quite a variety, and it's just uh, sort of my job to take all those puzzle pieces and fit them together as best as possible mm -hmm. um, each month, and that's what I do. So as hard as it is, this must be like being a kid in a candy shop for you, huh? As a film lover, somebody who, who wants to bring the best or the most interesting stuff to town, you get to choose it. Yeah, I mean, with a lot of input. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, it's not like I just, yeah, so like I said, there's lots of input, and I try to you know, take all that really to yeah. heart. I do enjoy it. I mean, it was a, it's something I love doing, which I got to do in college. Mm -hmm. with the Bijou and then um, was doing freelance work and kind of wanted to continue doing yeah. programming, which that opportunity didn't exist here, mm -hmm. you know, on a professional level. But um, so I guess somewhat selfishly by making film scene happen, yeah. this was a bit of the reward <laughs> for it. It's kind of creating yeah. your own job, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. Well, and it seems to me that you're very often a step or two or, or ten ahead of the, the uh, film chains, the, the ones, the other theaters that we have in our region. For example, you had Boyhood on, I think, before it came to, uh, to the regular theaters, didn't you? 
Well, we had, yeah, I had made an early commitment to yeah. that film, knowing that it was really excellent and needed to be exhibited before it kind of climbed the box office yeah. charts. Yeah. And it was actually nice that the distributor, we had it for a two-week exclusive run, and then the third week they let us keep it exclusive, even though at that point the multiplex had decided they wanted to show it, and, yeah. then, it, and then it played both places. But that was a huge mm -hmm. film for us. And mm -hmm. you know, that's the other thing. We, we, we are mission-based, mm -hmm. so as a film arts organization, we're programming not just on the value of the box office potential. Right. I mean, we do need to pay our bills, and they, they do mm -hmm. add up. But mm -hmm. we're programming based on the value of the film on an artistic level, mm -hmm. on a cultural level, a social level. We do do a lot of dialogue events, as you mentioned, with mm -hmm. panel discussions or Q&As. Mm -hmm. We've had quite a few filmmakers here in person to do Q&As, or they've joined us via Skype. Mm -hmm. So that's a value-added opportunity. We've also done. Um, local filmmaker spotlights, mm -hmm. and then the Bijou has an open screen series, which actually just happened this past Sunday for the spring mm -hmm. semester. And there are 15 different works, uh, film and media makers represented in that mm -hmm. program, so they had an opportunity to show their work on the screen. So I'm really proud of the range of films that we show here on any mm -hmm. given day or, or week. Mm -hmm. Leah, are you a filmmaker? Are you a, f a film student? Uh, I'm getting my film studies PhD at the University of Iowa, mm -hmm. so um, I've made some experimental works, but mostly I watch films, I write about them, I teach about them at yeah. the university. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And is the cinema department here a large department? How many students are studying in this area? I don't know what the undergraduate number is. Our undergrads do take both theory and practical mm -hmm. coursework, so mm -hmm. they're making films as well as um, studying films. And then at the graduate level, there's uh, maybe 10 to 15 PhD students or MA students, and then maybe 10 to 15 MFA students who are mm -hmm. filmmakers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I know that when you came over, Joe, to talk to uh, the people in our office about whether international programs and study abroad could in some way help publicize and help promote this activity and the opportunity maybe to, to inspire a few more students to both attend the screenings here and consider study abroad, it was, it was very exciting for us to see that combination of, of um, activities, you know, come together and then result in, in um, your generous scholarship for a study abroad opportunity for a, a student who I, I know the student who won the award is here with us this afternoon. I, if you'd like to mention her name. Uh, Emily Anderson. She's in the <laughs> back. You, you probably can't see her on, on the camera. <laughs> um, it, it's fun, uh, you know, as a cultural organization to do impact programming. Mm -hmm. um, it, there aren't too many partnerships like this that are able to to do that dual approach and engagement. And we're, we're interested to see uh, how Emily's uh, study abroad goes. Uh, mm -hmm. I think we'll be, we'll be tracking her a little bit, hoping to get some feedback and, and maybe see what kind of film she's seeing in that mm -hmm. location as well. It, mm -hmm. it should, should make for a very wonderful program as, as the years and semesters go by. Yeah, yeah. And so tell us, as for the future, it's expected that the Horizons Passport series will kick up again next fall and again in the spring? Yeah, absolutely. We're, uh, Already, the Bijou committee that's in charge of curating those films um, are looking into films that they want to bring for the fall, mm -hmm. uh, and we'll do it again in the spring, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, for the summer, what's, what's ahead for you guys? Do you have, do you have big summer festivals of films, or I know you've just gone through Mission Creek, and that's a very busy week for you. Yeah, that Mission Creek was a busy week. We did a different film event every night during the festival with a special guest. Um, we don't really have any festivals per se at this point that Film Scene produces, but we've mm -hmm. hosted some different programming. Um, so really, um, 
the Maisel series in May, regular run of new releases. Summer gives us a little bit of breathing room. And then, you know, we might look for some of those bigger releases like Boyhood. That was last August where we're able right. to kind of keep that on screen a little bit longer mm -hmm. um, as we head into the fall. And then um, kind of the fall picks back up award season and where you see sure, some of those sure. kind of prestige pictures that lead up to the yeah. Oscar race. So that's an interesting time. <laughs> um, but last summer was actually quite busy for us, just thinking back. Like, those were some of our busiest months. So it's kind of strange how that works. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, we yeah. also, I mean, oh. we have one of the more sub-unique spaces as yes. well. We have mm -hmm. a, a rooftop um, that maybe not a whole lot of people mm -hmm. have been up on. Um, but we do a rooftop series there. Now, that we were hoping hope, uh, hoping to open that up this week, but the, the clouds are not cooperating. Mm -hmm. uh, so hopefully sometime next week, and we'll be getting that series going. And it's really nice to just be outside in downtown Iowa City mm -hmm. uh, underneath the stars watching some classic films. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be 10... I think it's 10 nights, Sundays, June through like September. Actually, probably the end of this month, we'll start with that. And those are usually kind of some more mainstream fun movies, mm -hmm. you know, less independent, but classics in their own mm -hmm. right. So we did mm -hmm. Wet Hot American Summer last May. I think we'll open with that again. And we closed with Fargo oh, yeah. last <laughs> fall and had hot chocolate and things like that. So we'll probably mm -hmm. do that again. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we were kicking around some ideas. It'll be a fun, a fun lineup. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, gosh, I, I want to say thank you all for being here to talk a little bit about film and, and about this uh, Horizons Passport series and, and uh, the wonderful opportunity one of the UI students has just received. So I'd like to thank Andy Brody, Leah Vanderheide, and Joe Tiefenthaler uh, for being with us in this first part of the program. To all of you watching this program, uh, we have two more parts to this series called Real to Real, and uh, we'll be um, meeting two people in this next segment who have uh, taken study abroad to locations they were curious about, interested in, and they'll share some of their reactions. And then in part three, uh, we have a section called Hollywood, Bollywood, Reality, or Fiction. And we have three guests in that segment that I think you'll enjoy very much. So uh, thank you for joining us for this afternoon's World Canvas program. You can find these shows on YouTube, iTunes, UITV, and the International Program's website, international.uiwa.edu. And you can learn more about Film Scene at icfilmscene.org. For International Programs, I'm Joan Kerr. Thanks very much and good night. Hello and welcome to World Canvas from International Programs at the University of Iowa. I'm Joan Kerr and we're coming to you from Film Scene in downtown Iowa City. This is part two of our three-part series, Real to Real, and I'm glad you can join us. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you that you're invited to come to these live programs if you're in town, or you can catch them later on UITV, YouTube, iTunes, and the International Programs website, which is international.uiowa.edu. Information about upcoming shows and links to archived programs can also be found at that website. And to learn more about Film Scene, go to icfilmscene.org. This segment of World Canvas is called Taking the Leap, and it's all about personal stories of growth and discovery through study and teaching abroad. And with me are three special guests. Just next to me is Aubrey Compton, University of Iowa Study Abroad Advisor in International Programs, colleague of mine. Thank Hi, you, Jeff. Aubrey. And next to her is Caitlin Kavan, University of Iowa student, also an outreach assistant yep. in, the, uh, in international programs. Yep. And so happy to have you here, Caitlin. Thank you. Thank you. And at the far end, we have Emily Anderson, who is from Carroll, Iowa, who is a University of Iowa student who has just won a study abroad scholarship through the Horizons Passport series that we talked about in the prior segment. So welcome, Emily. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for being here. 
Um, so, Aubrey, I'd like to go to you first. This is just sort of a, <laughs> an opportunity for us to talk about personal experiences that were transformative yeah. and, and uh, you know, exciting, related sometimes to film experiences, mm -hmm. sometimes to just, you picked a place on a map and said, that's where I want to go. Mm -hmm. And in your case, you went to Spain. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Um, I studied abroad in San Sebastian, Spain in 2004. Um, so I picked it because it looked like the exact opposite of Iowa and corn. Mm -hmm. um, it was located right on the ocean and it was just beautiful. And um, you know, those were the days YouTube didn't exist, so I couldn't really look and see, you know, mm -hmm. exactly what it was like. I didn't know of any particular films that were based out of there, but um, I just read I just read voraciously about it prior to going, and it was the best experience of my life, yeah. that's for sure. Thinking back, are you kind of happy that you didn't know much more uh, than you did about this particular place before you got there? Was it, was it nice to just go in with a general understanding of what you would find, but no particular visuals of the place? Yeah, and I think it's really interesting because nowadays you can go on Google Maps and you can you know, find the exact place that you're going to be right before you go. And you can know so much about the destination beforehand. But it was very interesting to just kind of go in with open eyes and just kind of open heart and really discover things for yourself. And yeah. it, was, it, was, uh, it was a great semester, yeah. that's for sure. Were you a junior? Were you a I was a junior. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And your major area was? I was Spanish. Spanish, Spanish and international business certificate, mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. So what surprised you most? Oh. Um, what surprised me most? I, I, I took many courses um, about Spanish culture and Spanish mm -hmm. lit prior to going to Spain. So I had this idea in my head that Spaniards were very jovial and very welcoming and would hug you and kiss you and, <laughs> and were very passionate. And I was very excited about that. Um, I remember when I arrived, um, I noticed that pe people just they didn't smile when they walked past you, which is something in Iowa you're, you, you're taught to do. Um, people you know, didn't say, excuse me, or sorry. And I, I took that as something, maybe, is this something that's, are they being rude, or do they not like me? Um, but I eventually found that once you actually get to know Spaniards, then all of that love and that passion comes out. Americans are maybe a little bit more superficially nice but Spaniards, once you get to know them, then the kisses and the hugs and the passion mm -hmm. and everything. <laughs> yeah, well, so you went back a yes. few years later to teach. What was that all about? Um, well, when I studied abroad, um, I was determined to go back again. And um, I researched a lot. And I uh, found a program um, through the Spanish Ministry of Education and Science I was a teaching assistant in the south of Spain, so it was a significantly different experience than living in northern Spain. Mm -hmm. um, and I lived there for two years and just really immersed myself in the culture. Um, and it, it, was, it was a totally different experience, but it was, it was remarkable. And it, mm -hmm. um, I, wish yeah. I, could, I wish I could go back. <laughs> I'm sure I would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, did you think sometimes when you were there during that two-year period that you might just make your life there? Or did you always think, no, 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 I, I, I need, I'll be living in the States, but I'm going to take this for all it's worth? 
there was a while where I thought that I would live there forever, mm -hmm. and I know my parents were very upset about that. <laughs> so once they uh, found out that I was coming home, they were yeah. very excited. But um, I think I found the best of, best of both worlds because now I'm doing what I love and trying to help other people find mm -hmm. amazing transformative experience abroad like I had. Yeah. yeah. And so for the students who speak to you now in the study abroad office, what areas uh, do you consult on? I advise for Spain, um, which is the second most popular destination for study abroad students. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also uh, advise for Portugal and the Netherlands, which are very cool countries, but everybody wants to study in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Um, the bulk of, of, of mm -hmm. my advising work is with Spain. So. Great, great. Well, we'll come back to you in a little sure. while, but let me move down to you now, Caitlin Kavan. You are a junior now? Yep. Yeah, yeah, so you're a junior, and I know that you have a part-time job working in the uh, study abroad office at the university, but you also spent, what, a full academic year yep. in South Korea studying yep. abroad. So tell us about that, and why did you choose South Korea? Um, so I chose South Korea because I, um, of course, my biggest influence was media. I was really... Um, compelled to go to South Korea because of um, things like South Korean movies, um, music, and that really garnered my initial um, interest in the country. And then from there, um, I kind of spiraled into um, learning about the culture um, and then um, taking my first step into the study abroad office and just um, really taking a leap into a different world because I I uh, was born and raised in Iowa, and going to South Korea was my first time um, going abroad. And so, um, like Aubrey said, it's one of the best um, things that I could have done mm -hmm. so far mm -hmm. in my mm -hmm. life. Um, so I would definitely recommend it for everyone else who's considering it. Yeah. So was there a little bit of uh, trepidation when you were thinking about South Korea? Had you studied the language before you left, or did you worry that you might not be able to be understood? Um, so I... My Korean was very, very beginner level, so I um, wasn't too afraid of that. Um, I felt really confident going into it, but of course, um, I kind of, uh, when I first went, went there, um, I did run into some language barriers, but I, um, one of the benefits of being in a country where English isn't um, the major language is you really immerse yourself in that language and you learn it really quickly. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the biggest, obstacles I had to cross were my parents not wanting me to leave the States. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did they visit while you were there? Or is, is that generally not encouraged when someone's studying abroad? Is, is there encouragement or, or maybe you don't enter into that discussion at it, all with It's parents? neither encouragement nor discouragement. <laughs> um, they can, the parents can surely visit their students, but just mm -hmm. as long as it doesn't affect their academic yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so what was the academic uh, experience like um, as a, you would have been a sophomore at the time yes. when you were there? And what courses were you taking? Were they all taught in English? No, so no. Um, I enrolled in intensive language courses to the point where I was, by the time it was second semester, I was able to enroll in classes with native Korean students. Wow. And that was a whole different uh, monster to conquer because um, even though there were some portions taught in English, um, majority was taught in Korean, and also just the teaching style is very different. Um, it's more lecture based. You take your notes, you go home, study for the test, and then you do it all over again. Wow, yeah. 
Huh. So, so the, did you quickly make friends? I mean, what was the experience like? You land in this country where you don't presumably know anybody. Were you in a program with a number of other American students from different universities, or were you really kind of the only um, American student in your courses? Uh, so I did a really unique um, study abroad experience where um, I went by myself. I directly enrolled in a university. And so I was only American, um, wow. and which was really weird because I thought that there would be more American students there. But um, it was a good thing because it allowed me to meet people from all over the world. And I wasn't just stuck with people from Iowa and people from all over the US, but mm -hmm. I got to make global friendships. And I think that was the biggest, um, best like, mm -hmm. unexpected surprise to me mm -hmm. while I was abroad. Did you really, did you feel that you were really having to struggle a lot more in your coursework that first semester than you would here uh, in English speaking classrooms? Um, or did you just really just kind of knuckle down and, and do it? And so, uh, of course, being in a like country, South Korea, I was in the capital city and Seoul just never sleeps. So I was very tempted to, um, you know, just not study, maybe just explore. But um, in South Korea, education is very highly valued. And I just saw my classmates studying really, really hard. And that motivated me to, hey, I need to buckle down and mm -hmm. um, also know that I'm here to study and mm -hmm. also to have fun. But um, mm -hmm. the other students really motivated me. Yeah, wow, that's great. So would you do study abroad again? Would, yeah. You, you wouldn't would even do have to ask again. me a second. <laughs> I would say yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And would you choose a place that was equally foreign to you or um, you know, something that seemed a little closer to? A U.S. experience, um, probably something more foreign. Mm -hmm. um, something that I've learned while being abroad is that you're more capable of doing things than you think. Um, so I would I would take a leap into the unknown um, yeah. because once you're there, you just you learn more about yourself. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's the other interesting part of it, isn't it? You're not just learning about this other culture; you're also figuring out things about yourself, how mm -hmm. competent you are, yeah. what things make you nervous, what things you're surprised you can do without any trouble at all. Mm -hmm. um, did, you, did you feel real loneliness for your friends back home or for family when you were away, or did that really, not a problem? So um, I planned on my whole study abroad experience my freshman year, so I wasn't able to make as close of friendships just yet, so um, I didn't have that yearning for friends back home. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, my family, but it was, I always wanted to go abroad. And so it sounds bad, but um, I didn't really like miss my family, <laughs> but they missed me, um, which, which is, I, well, I'm glad they did. Um, but um, it was just a great experience. I met people there who were, who were like family, mm -hmm. which helped me kind of close the gap of being homesick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you find that the Korean people were very warm and welcoming to you? Or does it take a little while to, for people to understand? So um, kind of like in Spain, uh, everyone, it's such a fast-paced um, lifestyle there. Everyone is constantly moving. If they bump into you, uh, there's no sorries, there's no excuse me. Um, but once you do get to know them, they're very friendly. They're very, like, take care of you. Mm -hmm. And so I really appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah, great. Wow. Well, I would like to move down uh, the line here to our, our next uh, study abroad uh, escapee from the States for <laughs> however long, uh, Emily Anderson. So um, we mentioned in the prior segment that you had um, 
taken part in this Horizons uh, Passport series, seeing a number of in international films during this last semester, and, and uh, you were able to win a study abroad scholarship, which will help pay for some adventure in the future. And you've been listening to some of this conversation, and, and I'm wondering if you already have some ideas of where you might like to go, um, places you're most interested in. Um, I was thinking about going to Italy for quite a while, and I um, emailed some courses to my academic advisor, and they didn't fit my major, so I can't go there. Um, <laughs> but I'm also thinking of possibly going to Spain or um, somewhere in the UK or maybe even the Netherlands. So. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we'll be talking to Aubrey yeah. soon. Yeah, yeah. And why would these places be of, of interest to you? Um, I'm, Spain would be interesting to me. Um, I've taken Spanish since about like fourth grade, so it'd be interesting to kind of test my knowledge of the language and um, probably get a better grasp on it as well. Um, and then the UK, um, I don't know, I've like seen it in all the movies and everything since I was little, so like sure. it's one of those places that mm -hmm. I've always kind of wanted to go. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the Netherlands, it was just one of the opportunities that I saw, and I never really had thought of it before, but um, I'm open to going to new places that I haven't really heard of. Yeah. I think it'd be interesting. Mm. So I'm going to connect you here with Aubrey. Yeah. What, what's the process when a student who's interested in going abroad and has a general mm -hmm. idea of what they might like to do, and they certainly know what their major is, but they walk into the office and you have your first conversation, how do you help students sort through their possibilities? Well... Um, we employ five peer assistants, so just kind of like Caitlin, um, they're students that have already studied abroad and that are here to just answer students' questions and kind of guide them, ask them what they're interested in, what places they're thinking of, and then kind of show them based on um, what they, what kind of requirements they, what they want to study, uh, mm -hmm. different places. Mm -hmm. Then the students kind of do a little bit of work on their own, looking at you know, some of the options there. And then once they have nailed down a few programs, then they would meet with an, the advisor for that program. So if you wanted to talk about Spain or the Netherlands, we would meet. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, then the application process mm -hmm. starts from there. And then we make sure and uh, prepare students for their, mm -hmm. their big time abroad by giving them pre-departure orientations and things like that. So mm -hmm. we prepare the student and we're with them the entire way mm -hmm. and we wait for them when they get back. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> wonderful. And students can go on a semester long or a year long or yep. even a winter break. Winter, long. yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that in the next uh, segment here. Um, uh, were there any film or television experiences you've had since you've been to Spain where you sort of had that gut reaction, that's not really the way it is, or that's not the Spain I saw. You know, sometimes you, you, it's one thing to see a film or see a program or a documentary about a place before you've witnessed it with mm. your own eyes or lived, lived there. Have you ever had any kind of reactions like, that's not the Spain I know, or that's not the South Korea I saw with anything you've seen? I actually have uh, an example of the opposite effect. Yeah. Um, La Berge Espagnole is mm -hmm. a French movie from 2002. It's uh, The Spanish Apartment, and it's basically about a French student who studies abroad in Barcelona and has a bunch of um, roommates from all different places, and they kind of have this little world together. Mm -hmm. And um, that's exactly how I lived in Seville. I had German, Italian, French roommates, and we all just kind of 
gathered and learned a lot from each other in that way. And I was really, really surprised that, that the movie really did mm -hmm. portray what happened mm -hmm. in that sense. So mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. great movie, by yeah. the way. <laughs> and what was the name again? La Berge Espanol, The Spanish Espanol, Apartment. The Spanish Apartment, great. How about you, um, uh, Caitlin? <laughs> um, so it was kind of both. Um, I watched um, document, well, music videos that showed the very glamorous side of South Korea, and um, that does exist, but not everyone there looks like a celebrity. Um, you know, that's just what the media shows you. Um, I think the most influential documentary that I watched was um, a National Geographic um, documentary about North Korea, and um, that really kind of sparked my interest in the, what's going on in South and North Korea because they are in a war still and that really um, changed my perspective on it's not just glamorous, it's still mm -hmm. uh, a war going on and so that's something that I think a lot of people don't know about. Mm -hmm. well. Was that one of the things that made your parents a little bit nervous? The, uh, yeah, yeah um, anytime North Korea came up, came up on the news, um, the first people who would contact me were my parents but everyone in South Korea, no one Everyone yeah. <laughs> was, oh, are you catching the next subway? Are you catching the next bus? Um, that nothing really, nothing alarming really happened there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and in these uh, last 10 years or, or so since you first went on your study abroad trip, and, and now you just went recently, and if you go in this next year or two, uh, there's social media now. So mm -hmm. in a lot of ways you can, depending upon where you are, you can really stay in touch as much as you like or as little as you like and almost <laughs> instantly. Absolutely. So that's very different. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Emily, can you tell me about one of the films you saw in this series that um, you particularly enjoyed? Um, I thought that um, we watched The Patient Stone and then we also watched um, Zero Motivation. I really enjoyed both of those movies. Zero Motivation, it was more of a comedy, um, but it showed they have to do two years in the army. Um, and it was interesting to see that because it's like a whole different thing that we don't really have to think about here in the U.S. And it was interesting to think of like, what if we did have to do that and what would it be like for us? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you come to the screenings with friends and then talk about it afterwards or is this kind of your little private thing? Um, I didn't want to bring any friends because I didn't want them to get their passport stamped. <laughs> <laughs> no competition. Yeah. Huh? yeah. Uh, I didn't tell... Definitely the first one I didn't tell anyone, but um, <laughs> later on I started telling my friends and I definitely think next semester too I'll be coming back and I'll bring people with me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so what can you tell us about um, the breadth of opportunity there is for students at the University of Iowa to, to study abroad? I know that within your area you also have work uh, intern and volunteer programs uh, internationally that students can learn about. Um, what should a student who might see this program know about study abroad? Well, um, you know, it's not just study abroad to the typical places. You can mm -hmm. study abroad pretty much anywhere that doesn't have a travel warning. Um, <laughs> I mean, we have programs um, in Fiji. We have mm -hmm. programs you can go and learn about Brazilian Carnival in Rio de Janeiro over yeah. winter. I mean, it, and everything in between. So, I mean, you can do a year-long program in uh, the UK, 
paying the same that you would pay here since hmm. it's an exchange program yeah. or you could do a summer internship program I mean, there, there's 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 so many countries and there's so many mm -hmm. different disciplines and time frames it really it really there really is something for everybody mm -hmm. yeah and I think the the cost issue is something that I think everybody could use a little education on yes. because as you say, there are many programs where your Iowa tuition covers the cost of this mm -hmm. international program, even though you would need to get over there and get back on your That's own, right. I assume. Yeah. Yes. So we, um, we have several exchange programs where you would pay uh, the tuition that you pay here. And for somebody who is a resident of, uh, of Iowa, mm -hmm. doing a year in the UK, which would be extremely expensive otherwise, is now affordable to them. Um, and any financial aid that they receive at the University of Iowa can be applied towards study abroad. In addition, we have many um, study abroad awards and grants um, and external ones that we can show students. So um, yeah. there are many opportunities to, to, to take down the cost and uh, make it a worthwhile experience. So. Well, and there's something that some people may not yet be aware of, but for all uh, freshmen coming in as early as this summer and going forward, um, Iowa students who come to the University of Iowa, they all automatically qualify for a $1,000 scholarship toward a study abroad experience. So, um, you know, that's another incentive and, and a good thing. So you would totally recommend this for, for any of your friends. Right? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay, I, right. I missed the, the scholarship opportunity, but I would still, <laughs> recommend still recommend it. Yeah, oh, you're very good. Well, gosh, I want to say thank you so much. I wish you all the luck in the world, uh, Emily, with your scholarship and choosing the right place to go. I know you'll enjoy it. Great. And thanks for being here. And thank you, Caitlin. I really appreciate it. And thank you, Aubrey, for being here. So um, I guess in this segment, we're Aubrey Compton and Caitlin Kavan and Emily Anderson. And uh, this is World Campus, the second segment of a program called Real to Real. Uh, if you'd like to check out any of the World Campus programming, it's available on YouTube, iTunes, UITV, and International Programs website, which is international.uiowa.edu. And you can check out Film Scene at icfilmscene.org. I'm Joan Kerr. Thanks for very much for joining us this afternoon, and we'll see you next time. Good night. Hello, and welcome to World Canvas from International Programs at the University of Iowa. I'm Joan Kerr. We're coming to you from Film Scene in downtown Iowa City, and we're happy to have you join us for part three of this series on cinema and the international experience. We'll be talking about cinema's power to evoke images of unknown places to subtly or perhaps not so subtly provoke or challenge our preconceptions and perhaps lure us into more personal relationships with cultures that are not our own. Uh, before I start, I'd like to invite you to join us for these live programs if you're in Iowa City and you have a chance. Otherwise, you can catch them on YouTube, UITV, or iTunes, also on the International Programs website. Our guests for this segment, called Hollywood, Bollywood, Reality or Fiction, are Rajiv Ranjan, University of Iowa graduate student originally from India. Yes. Hi, Rajiv. Thank Hello. you. And uh, next to Rajiv is Jerry Anthony. Hi, Hi. Jerry. Uh, Jerry is an associate professor in the University of Iowa Department of Urban and Regional Planning. And Eric Paul is at the far end. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Thanks for being here. He's a University of Iowa student. And uh, both Jerry and Eric have experience uh, studying and teaching in India during a program called the India Winterim. And uh, Rajiv is originally from India. And yes. he has the experience of living here in the United States for the last few years. So I think that. Um, 
contrasting these expectations and experiences could be very uh, interesting. So um, we've been talking, of course, about how film can sometimes introduce us to places and yes. uh, help us set our expectations of a landscape or of a culture or whatever. And um, Rajiv, you were on a program, a World Canvas show, gosh, must be four or five years ago now. Yeah, 2011. Yes. Uh, when 10, 11. And you had just uh, arrived shortly before to be a foreign language teaching assistant. Yes, Fulbright. Uh, Fulbright. And um, so you told us at that time what your early impressions were of the United mm -hmm. States. And maybe I can even ask you to recount a few sure. of those. But now, of course, you've lived here for many years. So, so how has your, your experience changed? Any expectations you had? Well, um, let me start with saying that you know, understanding a culture is not just five or six or ten years, it's a lifetime you know, goal to understand some foreign culture from within. Um, however, outside perspective that I have for this country or the culture that we are talking about, it's, it's definitely have, have improved. I am more culturally appropriate than <laughs> being culturally alien. Um, certain stereotypes that the Hollywood or Bollywood or any popular mass communication media creates is because we're talking about film as a window to the culture. It's just the window, it's not the whole story. It's mm -hmm. just the window and the motivation of making film is not to educate other, or it's authentic material for the target audience in a target language and mm -hmm. culture. So it's mm -hmm. definitely when we as a viewer watching some foreign movies, we are not able to understand the underscore statement or pragmatics of the movie and that and there are two possibilities. Either we are, are not at that age where we understand the pragmatics of the foreign culture, or we cross the age where we are not ready to understand mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. pragmatics of mm -hmm. the foreign culture, and we are very much happy with our own culture, and we are not ready to explore. So with, with that statement, um, I'm lucky to be here in, when I was 25, and I'm turning 30 very soon. <laughs> so uh, that was the age where I, I'm ready to understand the world, and I've seen half of the world from East, and now I was here in 2010-11 to see the world from the West, and I, I found the world is different. Not, uh, so giving you certain examples that I always thought that in America everybody wears this tie and jacket, and you know, everybody's FBI cops if you're not wearing tie <laughs> or jacket. You know, um, Women, my friend would ask me a question, so you are not a you know, rocket scientist, why are you going to America? Because you are neither a computer, you study humanities, linguistics, or are you going to drive a cab because mm -hmm. all the Indians are driving cabs in, in Hollywood movie? <laughs> or you are gonna run a grocery store or gas station? Uh, well, I'm going to study linguistics. <laughs> Nick, well, in, in India there are many languages, why are you going to America <laughs> to study linguistics? The idea is that, the film itself uh, creates certain kind of stereotype because once again, it's not the goal of a director or filmmaker mm -hmm. to educate you with the culture. They have their own mission and statement, the story to tell, mm -hmm. rather than fulfilling some moral or ethical reasons to teach the world the culture. Mm -hmm. point. So a uh, few other experiences that just to mention one more that, uh, you know, in Hollywood film, we always had this idea that if anybody who is foreign to the country or speak a little different accent of English, women are so much in love, and you can find <laughs> all this Hollywood movie where people are falling, uh, women are falling in love with the foreigners. I'm not still that lucky one, but you know. 
so those <laughs> are the things that have changed. The world is not, the America is not all about what we have got from mm -hmm. Hollywood from mm -hmm. that little window. Mm -hmm. There are mm -hmm. more to learn and more to explore, and I would be always happy to explore more. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, that allows me to throw it down to uh, both Jerry and Eric, who have been to India now. And um, I don't know, Eric, what your prior experience was with Indian films, uh, history of India, um, how, whether you had explored this very much in your own life before you decided to take part in these classes in India Winterham, but I'll, I'll ask Jerry the same thing in, in a minute. Uh, what was your exposure to India before you decided to go? I'd say one of my main exposures to India would be Slumdog Millionaire, which uh -huh. um, I watched back when I was a freshman in high school, so I didn't remember too much about it other than I remember a lot of uh, desert scenes, that sort of thing, and a lot of violence, mm -hmm. um, especially in that movie. And I think that kind of goes to your point about um, seeing seeing India in a director's lens versus actually going there and, and being in India and how welcoming and inclusive everybody was when I was actually there. And I ended up staying in the southern area of India, Madurai, Chennai, and Pondicherry. And it was very humid. It was almost like a rainforest more than a desert. So it, and you, ha you need to remember that India is all sorts of different parts. Like when we think about um, America, and I'm from here, there's the Midwest, there's the coast, there's the south. I mean, there's a whole like slew of culturally different people in America. Mm -hmm. And India has three times the population, so you can imagine how many different types of people are there and throwing you know, one global stereotype. Mm -hmm. Maybe um, a movie taken just in um, Mumbai wouldn't capture India mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as a whole. Yeah. Uh, and Jerry, um, you're an experienced teacher. I'm sure you've traveled all over the world, but you have been teaching in India Winterham uh -huh. uh, for some time, and I know you teach in urban and regional planning. That's correct. So, you know, you, you have the experience of different cultures, different cityscapes, different landscapes, uh -huh. and so on. What was India like for you the first time you were there? Well, I grew up in India. You did. So going back uh, to teach a course that was fantastic, it was a fantastic opportunity. Um, so um, I, I could share with students some of the innovative things that were happening there and the challenges of urbanization. We have problems of transportation here, we have problems of housing here, but those problems are very, very minor compared to the problems in India. Yeah. Uh, and the solutions that people are trying to come up with, nonprofits, governments, private individuals, they have to come up with solutions in a highly resource-constrained situation, much mm -hmm. more than here. Mm -hmm. And so the one way to get out of that is being innovative and creative. And uh, that was my motivation to go back to India, to share with students the creativity that is happening there at the local level, the um, imaginative ways in which people are trying to solve, such, solve problems with uh, very few resources. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, so when did you leave? Did you come here just when you were in college age? Yes, I came, here, mm -hmm. I, I, I came here to get my PhD mm. uh, about 20 years ago and then got my PhD in 2000. And this was, I uh, came to the University of Iowa, the first institution. Been mm -hmm. here for 14, 15 years sure, now. So. Sure, yeah. yeah, and I imagine you had taken other trips back to India just for personal reasons or yes. whatever during that mm -hmm. period. So how has India changed in your eyes as, as uh, someone originally from that country, but now these many years later? Remarkably. Uh, yeah, the India that I left was an India where people were waiting for the government to solve their problems. The India when, when I went back to in 2009 with the students where it was, it was an India where people are uh, innovating themselves. The spirit of entrepreneurship had bitten lots of people. Uh, and uh, no longer were people waiting for the government to come down with a government program that would solve their problems. So that was mm. a big 
it was a shift in mindset. Mm -hmm. And along with that, the government had um, moved from being uh, a, an authoritarian sort of entity that prevented people from doing things to being an entity that enabled people to do things. Mm. So those two things were really different. So I went, I left a different India. You know, I left a certain yeah. kind of India, went back yeah. to a different India with my students. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what can you tell us about the reactions of your students to this very different place uh, from where most had grown up? Uh, well, um, uh, you, you get a range of reactions, but I think the common reaction that ties most student experiences together is uh, this experience, uh, and I'm paraphrasing uh, you know, what students say, this experience has been the most transformative experience in my life. Hmm. Because they see how people uh, transcend uh, barriers of language and culture, and overcome resource constraints to come up with innovative solutions, which are commonsensical, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. It's just common sense. Uh, but to see that happen is really inspiring. Mm -hmm. And there are many students that have gone back. They come, they've come with me as either undergrads or come with me as master's students. And if they're undergrads, they've gone back for their master's uh, and done some stuff, you know, India-based. Mm -hmm. One of the students that came with me in 2011, uh, in, and he left, you know, he came back to the US in Jan of 2011. He went back to India in May of 2011, and he's still there. Really? So. Wow. <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well now, Eric, uh, you're a student in, was it biomedical engineering? That's correct. Yeah. So uh, was it difficult for you to fit a study abroad program into your overall you know, scholastic plan? Um, not at all, actually. I studied rehabilitation medicine. So we went in and saw um, one of the big things that was eye-opening to me were all the traffic accidents that they had in India. <laughs> and actually, once I was there and traveled, I totally <laughs> understand why they'd have a ton of traffic accidents. <laughs> but um, just how they're solving their own problems through their local innovation, like, like you mm -hmm. said, and uh, how in order to kind of, we can conceptualize the problems in the US of a de developing nation, but you don't really understand them at all unless you actually go in and get your hands dirty. So that's something that I really enjoy doing and just coming there as a scholar first. Simply study what they're doing and everything that's going on already and then you can begin to innovate. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to doing that. I'm uh, going back this next fall or this next winter <laughs> and to study the Arvind Eye Care System. Uh -huh. I'm very excited. Yeah, and terrific. That's a pretty common thing. People come once and they want to go back. Again. Yeah, really, that's terrific. And, and so, Rajiv, have you been able to go back to India during this time you've been living in the yes. States? You, you yes, have. yes. I, I've visited twice so far in summer of 2011, mm -hmm. summer of 2013, mm -hmm. and I'm going this summer too. Boy, yeah, good. Good. Well, um, when you first, when I first learned about your um, uh, surprise at becoming a Fulbright Scholar and coming to the United States. Yeah. You mentioned an experience, I don't know if it was in New York or Washington, mm -hmm. D.C., but you were having your orientation and you were told where you would be yeah. going. Yes. Recount that story for well, us. Well, so <laughs> coming to Iowa was, was fascinating to me because, you know, till May or I would say June to 2010, I had no idea I would ever go to this wonderful country called the United States of America. And 2010, August, I'm here. And New York, uh, we had Fulbright um, orientation at Columbia University. And people would ask me that, where are you going? What's your host institution? And I said, well, University of Iowa. And it is in Iowa City. And I go, where is that Iowa City in the United <laughs> States of America? Well, so I really thought that we're 
on earth I'm going. You know? yeah. However, I, uh, I mentioned that time too, that I remember one of the professor here, and who is now, I'm very happy to have her as my co-advisor of my PhD dissertation oh, work. So I knew her, and I know that wherever I'll be, I'll be near that person yes. to work yes. on my you know, yes. research and stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you didn't know much about our landscape, much about no, our weather. No, not about the winter. And the <laughs> winter is very different here from your winter. Yeah, and um, you remember I, I mentioned after that winter that, you know, Iowa is cold, but Iowa are so warm, so I would survive. No. <laughs> and I did survive. This is my fifth year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so uh, Rajiv has just learned that he has uh, been appointed as a lecturer at uh, Michigan State University, and he'll be going there in the fall. And so we were joking that he's sort of jumping from the frying pan into the fire because yeah. snow here, longer Got winter long. in Michigan, yeah. more snow. Yeah. So I hope you like it. Well, last week I was there on 23rd of April, just the campus visit and, you know, doing yeah. uh, finding an apartment and mm -hmm. stuff. And there, it was snowfall there mm -hmm. that day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Welcome to Miss East Lansing. So, yeah. uh, but you know, uh, I really understand now the, the weather, the people, how to live and how to survive. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't complain about these things when it comes to academic life because, you know, if you're staying outside the office building too much, you're probably <laughs> not doing a good research. You oh, know, there you, you go. Have to be in that <laughs> closed closet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Jerry, coming back to your work on teaching here at the University of Iowa, do you find that most of the students who study in your area are actually interested in international learning experiences or in working internationally at some point? Uh, yes and no. I think there is a group of people who are interested in what's happening in around the world. Um, and their, their, their interest comes from you know, two kinds of motivations. One is there's a, there's some of them are aware that many of the problems relating to urbanization in other parts of the world are much more severe than here, and they want to use their skills, the skills that they have, and try to help people in those parts. Mm -hmm. The other group of people who want to go abroad are people who realize that so many innovative things are happening abroad. They want to go there and learn some of those techniques yeah. and bring them back here and try to solve, mm -hmm. um, you know, try to solve some of the problems here. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say universally everyone wants to go abroad, but there's a good chunk of people that want mm -hmm. to go abroad for those twin different mm -hmm. uh, motivations. Yeah. yeah. And would, would that be the experience that you have had, Eric? Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, we have our own problems here in the United States. And um, when I'm talking about uh, the bottom of the pyramid economics and how much they've been able to get done innovating for the bottom of the pyramid, how those innovations can filter up to the top. and doesn't necessarily work the other way around. Um, innovating for the people at the top of the economic pyramid tends to miss some of the sustainability points that he points out using local resources, that, that sort of thing. Um, we kind of look past that um, because we're, work, we're working with a lot of money and a lot of resources up here. Um, so making those sustainable solutions at the bottom of the pyramid, you have just this global impact uh, that's so much more powerful than some of the innovation that happens in the United mm -hmm. States. So. Mm -hmm. And within biomedical engineering, what, what kind of, uh, what do you hope to do in terms of your own particular use of that degree? Um, especially efficiency for mm -hmm. the healthcare system here. Um, I don't think there, there'd be anybody that will tell you the healthcare system in the United States is perfect. Um, <laughs> in India and a lot of the developing nations, uh, healthcare is a uh, human right. And in America, it's not mm -hmm. currently. Mm -hmm. and in India, especially with Arvind Eye Care System, they go out and reach the people that can't even afford to pay for 
their surgeries and they give them cataract surgeries, glaucoma surgeries, um, diabetic retinopathy treatment, that sort of thing. And I think we can learn a lot from that whole perspective on global health um, from India and from other countries. Mm -hmm. Well, this Winterim program is, I've been mentioning this, this word and um, mentioning Winterim throughout the program, but it's kind of a special, a special sort of study abroad and something the University of Iowa is really a leader in. It's in. For anyone who doesn't know, it's for that period between the end of the first semester and the start of the second semester. So during that winter break period, a three weeks study, mm -hmm. um, in this case in India, and mm -hmm. uh, many, many different courses mm -hmm. um, covering many interest areas, arts, dance, um, mm -hmm. and then engineering, science, or urban planning. Um, uh, you are going to be leading some study abroad programs this summer, did I hear? Yes, yes. yes. I'll be teaching um, at American Institute of Indian Studies, AIIS, and I'll be teaching there for eight weeks intensive Hindi instruction, which uh, students mostly from American universities across America, but there are other students from different countries. They come for summer and they're like five hours every day, mm -hmm. included some tour and some cultural talk. And I had experience of learning Urdu in India in summer 2013, so I had been a student of AIIS mm -hmm. program, but this summer I would be a instructor of AIIS yeah. program. And right. that's a that's a very you know exciting period for me in summer because I'll be in my country and able to see my country from outsider's perspective and able to you know the one thing I really felt here now I live with an American roommate and I think that was very helpful to understand the culture because you have this film and Netflix and, and TV serials and 100,000 things are available on YouTube and you try to put the you know things together to understand and you have nobody to discuss you know like mm -hmm. this intellectual habit or routine of watching something and then followed by a discussion that we don't have we go when we go to a mall or watch a movie we are not going with this hey i'm going to learn something cultural about that yeah, country right, right? you are right. going there to enjoy your popcorns and mm -hmm. drink pops and mm -hmm. watch movie but mm -hmm. you know so so Living with an American roommate or spending more time with American friends mm -hmm. really bootstrap me to to understand and to to ask questions mm -hmm. and they're happy to answer. So the idea is that when I'm there or I'm I teach here Hindi Urdu language at the university and, and I ask my student to watch a movie and make a hypothesis, make a stereotype about India, and then we I encourage them to do research on that a whole semester and at the end they present a cultural 10 minutes PowerPoint that they thought that this is the truth about India and after doing the research off, side, off classroom or talking to Indian friends or watching something, researching on that, I falsify this hypothesis or falsify mm -hmm. this stereotype. So this is kind of a teaching technique that I also bring in, in uh, the classroom which is also based on film and other social you know, uh, mm. media or mass communication, but I'm not the one who is going to teach you the mm. culture. You know, mm. means I'm I'm there to facilitate any discussion, but I'm nobody to talk about mm. Indian culture because I'm I do not represent all India. Mm -hmm. It's a very mm -hmm. culturally diverse country. So I guess this this seeing the country from an outside perspective as Indian to America and and seeing my country from other lenses and their mm -hmm. questions really makes mm -hmm. me think. 
that yeah. how we are being seen like slum dog millionaire mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. it's a it's a hollywood movie right mm -hmm. so but mm -hmm. it's talking about india and it makes me think that how people see india yeah yeah well i know that while you've been here a part of being a fulbright um yeah. an flta um here in the states involved giving presentations to community groups True. and to uh students in yes. in uh, k-12 schools what kinds of questions did you get from people particularly the little ones yeah, who, yeah. <laughs> well t tons of questions and you know some one kids really asked me this question so where is india exactly <laughs> you know so so you can understand that they have to see in the world where is this yeah. you know world yeah. you know canvas where is yeah. that tiny <laughs> tiny country is compared mm -hmm. to america mm -hmm. but the other kinds of question that uh, they they have been studying about religion. What religion do you follow? Do you have churches in India? What kind of festival do you celebrate? Or is why do you throw colors on each other on Holi? What's the relevance of that? If they have yeah. been exposed to some of the festival, uh, uh, the bigger question sometimes they ask like, when it rains, all Indians seem to dance. You know, it's like <laughs> you know because they watch some movie and where they, if it rains, people are dancing. Oh yeah. You know, and yeah. and here we have a phrase in America: save it for a rainy days. So it's oh, supposed yeah. to be yeah. a, a hard time yeah, of the right. rain. But <laughs> but in India, it's a culturally best country and it's a monsoon. So maybe yeah. that fits well. So the, even the phrases yeah. has this own. That's my whole point. I'm trying to bring that everything has a pragmatic. Everything has some kind of speech act locutionary force to mm -hmm. to understand the culture and you cannot understand the culture based on this some surface level unless you go dig deep mm -hmm. and try to understand if something is being said what's the metaphorical what's the pragmatic behind mm -hmm. it and if you understand that pragmatic it really helps you to understand the target culture because culture is is hard to discuss in one so you know yeah. you still are you know, thinking what's cul what mm -hmm, culture, mm -hmm, how mm -hmm. can we define culture? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, so Eric, are you in your last year of uh, school? This next year will be your senior year? Uh, this is my senior year currently. Oh, I'll it graduate is? In Gradu yeah. Oh, congratulations, wonderful. So then you will be taking courses in the fall as well? Yes, I'm pursuing a PhD in global health uh, informatics. Wow, yeah, that's terrific, wow. And um, are you from Iowa originally? I'm from Ames, Iowa. You are, yeah, great, wow. Do you, do you plan, it's my uh, understanding that engineers are among those, those people out working in the world who always assume that somehow or other they're going to be working with global partners. These days, the kind of information that is shared for engineering projects, what uh, industry computer does work. It for yeah, no kidding. But I, I would expect that you will have both friendships and opportunities to travel, maybe to work in other places once you've finished school. Uh, is that something you would like to do? Yes, absolutely. Um, someday, um, I'm actually pursuing a technological entrepreneurship certificate as well, and I'd really like to start my own company or work for a smaller company that's working to innovate in the bottom of the pyramid, um, whether that be in India or somewhere in Africa or wherever. Um, any of those places interest me. I'm going to uh, El Salvador with Engineers Without Borders, oh. and I hope to continue that, that sort of service as well and sort of uh, work through that or start some mm -hmm. other company that can be um, sort of sustainable sustainable innovation. Mm -hmm. So help, help me understand once again the phrase you just used, working from the bottom of the pyramid. You're interested in addressing problems, I, I assume, for the large mass of people who don't have access to many, many resources yeah, or the, much the 60 money. Of, yeah, the 60% of the population of the globe is in the bottom of the economic pyramid, living on less than 
1500 US dollars a year. Mm -hmm. And really I see that any innovation made for those people actually has the global impact that I really want mm -hmm. to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And did you have that kind of passion for this particular part of the population worldwide before you were in India? I mean, did you feel that before you actually experienced this different culture? Yes, so, sort of a global perspective wasn't really brought really to fruition until I went to India and really opened my borders. The, India was the first um, study abroad experience that I had, and it sure as heck has motivated me to go see the rest, every corner of the globe, and experience the culture and the people that live there and the sort of local innovations that they, that they have been making in order to satisfy the resource constraints and the well, things like that, addressing climate as well. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Pretty exciting, Jerry, huh? It to is. see this next, next group of students Absolutely. moving on through the world. And Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's, that's one thing we see from the Indy winter term, too, yeah. is that trip um, instills all of that passion. More, more than just me, every student has changed for life going yeah. through that program. So. Yeah. Pretty wonderful. Gosh, thank you all for talking to us thank about you this, so this much. afternoon. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Uh, so, Rajiv Ranjan, Jerry Anthony, and Eric Paul, real pleasure to have you all here, and I wish you all the very best. And, thank you. Uh, yeah. And uh, to all of you listening, this is the final program in this uh, season of World Canvas. Glad you could join us for this series. Uh, all of our programs are archived on YouTube, on iTunes. Um, the International Programs website, UITV, carries these video broadcasts. So uh, please catch them whenever you can or join us here for the live programs. Uh, information about Film Scene can be found at icfilmscene.org. And you can learn more about international programs and this show at international.uiowa.edu. I'm Joan Kerr. Thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.